welcome to the Plot Podcast. I'm your host, Mark Cole, editor and publisher of Odessa Steps Magazine. The Plot is a co-production between Odessa Steps Magazine and the When It Was Cool Network. We're going to start the pod today with some inside baseball. So I was trying to figure out what to do this pod on because it's been a couple months and I thought, well, okay, next week is Valentine's Day. I can do something on bad romantic comedies or romantic sitcoms or something like that. Then I realized, hey, the Ant-Man and the Wasp movie is coming out next week as we record this. And I'll do something about that. And then I thought, hey, I can combine the two and I'll do something about the issues of the Avengers, which... Hank and Jan get married, which is also the first appearance of Yellow Jacket. And we weren't going to talk about all the bad stuff that's happened to Hank Pym since the 80s, since he slapped Jan and they got divorced, and he started working for Egghead, and then he was a criminal, and then he went to prison, and then he got reformed, and then he merged with Ultron, and who knows where it stands now. Although there are some wonderful retro Hank Pym stories that have been done lately by Al Ewing. Check those out. The recent Ant-Man miniseries and the current Wasp miniseries, which were, of course, published in to tie into the movie. But then I read them. And I had remembered, for those who don't know, uh, Yellow Jacket was created when Hank had one of his many nervous breakdowns and... He had wanted to propose to Jan, but he couldn't because he was having all these weird anxiety issues. And so he created Yellow Jacket, which of course was his fourth persona. And he was this really ahead of his time violent superhero. And he shows up at Avengers Mansion and he says, I want to join the Avengers. And oh, by the way, I, can't, I killed Hank Pym. And they're all like, what the heck are you talking about? And he fights all the group for a while, which is like Cap and Hawkeye and Black Panther and people like that. And then uh, he quickly does a nerve pinch on Jan and spirits her away to his secret hideout where he forcibly kisses her and then has a moment of regret. And then she has this weird Stockholm Syndrome moment. And then the next issue, they get married. And everybody's like, what the heck is going on? And then it turns out, which we now know, that Jan knew it was Hank all along once he kissed her, and so she was playing along. So they were sort of married under false pretenses. And you can see how trying to make light of this story in 2023 is really weird, and you don't want to potentially offend anybody, and I know that when it was cool, it's very family-friendly, and I really did not want to discuss some of the issues involved in the story. So I had to figure out something else to do. And so since it's Quantumania and Kang is the villain, we're going to talk about one of the favorite things of Marvel fans my age, and that is the many identities of Kang the Conqueror.
just to set some of the ground rules here, we're only going to talk about stuff up until the end of the 1980s. This is a retro pop culture network after all. So we're not going to talk about any of the modern stuff they may have done with Kang since he's shown up in Loki or knew that he was going to be the next big bad in the MCU or any of that stuff. We're not even going to talk about the stuff that Kurt Busiek did when he did that very long Kang Dynasty series when he and George Perez did the Avengers in the late 90s and early 2000s. We're pretty much going to stop somewhere in the late 1980s. So, you want to know more about Kang the Conqueror, you get on the Google machine or you go to Wikipedia and you see Kang's first appearance was in Avengers number 8 in September of 1964. So that's where the story starts, right? Nope. We actually go back a year earlier to September 1963, and of all places, we're in Fantastic Four number 19, which is the first appearance of Rama Tut. In that story, the FF, this is very convoluted and very Silver Agey, the Fantastic Four have borrowed Doctor Doom's time machine, which is still locked up in his castle in Latveria, to go to ancient Egypt because... Reed has seen some hieroglyphics and thinks that the ancient Egyptians had found a cure for blindness and they want to try and cure Ben's girlfriend, Alicia Masters, the daughter of the puppet master, who is, of course, blind. So, being the 60s, we're just going to take a time machine, go back, find this cure for blindness, bring it back, just so Ben's girlfriend can see again. Well, it turns out they go back to ancient Egypt and they run into this pharaoh from a time that's not recorded in ancient history. And they run into Pharaoh Ramatut, who it turns out is from the future. He had discovered his ancestor's time machine and he came back to ancient Egypt so he could rule the world. And of course the FF stopped him. And who is that ancestor, you might ask? Why, it's Dr. Doom. So we have for our first connection to Dr. Doom and Ramatut. Soon after that, Dr. Doom and Ramatut run into each other uh, in all places in deep space where Ramatut rescues Dr. Doom. And they conjecture not only might they be ancestors of each other, it turns out it's very possible they might actually be the same person. So how are they in the same place at the same time without things going all timey-wimey kablooey? Well, you know, it's the 60s. These things happened. So how does that uh, bring us to Kang? Well, let's look at the pages of Avengers 8 to find out. The Avengers are called by some generals in the Pentagon because a spaceship has landed out of the blue in a wooded area of Virginia done some wacky stuff to the ground and then uh, crippled all the tanks and then finally a door opens and the space guy comes out much like Mike Rennie and Day the Earth stood still and says put away your childish weapons they are no more than toys to me I will not communicate with underlings send me the rulers of your primitive world so that I Kang can tell them my demands so the governments decide, hey, let's send in the Avengers because, you know, it's their book. So they run into Kang. They show up in Kang's spaceship. He's sitting on what appears to be an invisible couch holding a ray gun. And then he starts pontificating 
and telling us his origin. He says, I was born in the year 3000, where I mastered time travel. I journeyed to the your far past, and I called myself Pharaoh Ramatut, and then I came to this century where I met Dr. Doom. Finally, I planned to return to my own century, the year 3000, so I adjusted the molecular time drive to the proper setting, but due to electrostatic disturbances in the relative time stream, my vehicle suffered a temperature Temporary mechanical failure, a failure which caused me to overshoot my mark and land 2,000 years in the future in the desolate, mysterious era known as the year 4,000. Kang makes short work of the guys in the year 4,000 and comes back, possessing the greatest scientific knowledge of all time, armed with weapons at which you have no defense. I proclaim myself Kang, the first... Ruler of the 20th century, to which Hank Pym says, Mister, you're going to have the shortest reign on record. They try and have a big sort of fight, but eventually Kang's technology overwhelms them and he ends up capturing most of the team. And then Thor somehow, because he's separated from his hammer, turns into Dr. Don Blake. But Jan, being so tiny, escaped and she soon hooks up with... Rick Jones, who, of course, is the teen psychic of the Hulk and later Captain America, and he and the teen brigade go undercover and tell Kang that they want to be his servants. The teen brigade causes a distraction, which allows Rick to free Dr. Don Blake, who turns back into Thor and then breaks out the rest of the team, although Tony Stark, with his weakened heart, can't do anything but lie incapacitated. Meanwhile, Jan has found some sort of super secret ray gun that Tony Stark had built that Hank had modified and she brings it back to them. There's a brig to do, haha, and Kang is going to unleash his secret weapon. In the world of the future, we are immune to radiation, but you are not. So I use my last, my greatest weapon, radioactivity. It is the one power, the one force you have no defense against. It is the method with which I shall destroy you. Your puny shield cannot help you. With each passing second, I make my mask emit more and more radiation. First I shall dispose of you, and then the world shall be mine. <coughs> and then Thor shows up with his magic hammer and redirects the rays back towards him, which are too strong, and even he can't survive. So he runs back into a ship, it flies away and disappears. And that's it for Kang's first appearance. He's back three issues later in Avengers 11, where he decides to take on the Avengers by building a Spider-Man robot that he uses to infiltrate the team. The Spider-Man robot joins the team and soon ends up fighting them. And yes, eventually the real Spider-Man shows up, so we get a fight between the two Spider-Mans. Insert your joke about that stupid Spider-Man meme. He beats the robot. Kang is thwarted. The end. Kang's next appearance comes not against the Avengers or against Spider-Man, but against the Thing and the Human Torch in the pages of Strange Tales in the issue 134. Where of all things, Kang has gone into the past and is teamed up with Merlin the Magician. So the Watcher sends the Thing and the Human Torch back to Camelot to take on Merlin and Kang. 
and yes, this is as weird as it sounds, but uh, it's definitely worth checking out. And then, you know, we get the usual things. After that, Kang shows up uh, a few years later. Uh, this and that. The next big thing is when he shows up with, with the classic playing chess against the Grandmaster. This is when we get the Avengers fighting the Squadron Sinister, who would become later the Squadron Supreme, who are the Marvel analogs for the Justice League. You know, Hyperion is Superman, Nighthawk is Batman, the Wizard is the Flash, and Doctor Spectrum is Green Lantern. He makes a couple other appearances, this and that, but then in the mid-70s we get the big, giant uh, Steve Englehart time-spanning story that involves Kang and whether his his other alias is Immortus. This is what is now called the Celestial Madonna story with Mantis and the Swordsman, and it goes almost two years. It's very complicated. Needless to say, you can try and track down the reprints. This went through the Avengers issues, and then it went into the annuals and giant sizes and things like that. That's the what that's that eventually culminated with the wedding of the Vision and the Scarlet Witch. That's all you really need to know about that. So that's Kang and Immortus showing up to fight each other. But what about the fourth identity? That was the Scarlet Centurion, who was another time-traveling Avengers villain who first showed up in the second Avengers annual in 1968. That's when we get one of these time-displaced heroes fighting each other, where we have the gold or the original Silver Age Avengers fighting the current team, which was Giant Man and Wasp, or who were Goliath at that point, and Hawkeye, Black Panther, and Captain America. And they fight the original Silver Age team, but before Captain America had joined in issue four. There's a really great what if, is the tangent, there's a great what if uh, about that story where that's what if the Avengers had actually conquered the world when they were working for the Scarlet Centurion. That's a fun issue if you can track it down. I should say now that... Everything that I've been talking about uh, for now has been something that you can read on Marvel Unlimited if you want to take your opportunity to read that and use that service. Uh, everything that I've been talking about so far has been on there. All the Silver Age stuff that would cost you a bundle to get and reprints and even more to get the original copies of. What's funny is that Mortis has been around almost as long as Kang. He first appeared in Avengers 10, just two issues after Kang, where he was an ally of Baron Zemo and the Masters of Evil. And he doesn't appear for like 10 years. All of a sudden, he shows up in the middle of this Kang versus Rama Tut Celestial Madonna thing. So now we jump ahead to the mid-1980s, and Kang has once again shown up in The Avengers, now being written by the great Roger Stern, and we start to see some things that we have seen in more, some of the MCU stuff in a way. We see the Council of Cross-Time Kangs, with, uh, so we have multiple Kangs trying to rule the multiverse. 
We have the reappearance of Kang's long time on again, off again. Is she dead? Is she not dead? Girlfriend Ravona. Ravona is a name, of course, you should recognize if you watch Loki. This time, instead of Kang fighting Ramatut, Kang fights Mortis, which ends with Kang theoretically being disintegrated and Ravona and Mortis being a couple. And then, meanwhile, over in the Fantastic Four, John Byrne is doing something on his own to tie into all of this mythos. A few years earlier, in 1984, John Byrne had done this story in Fantastic Four, starting in issue 271, where they're trying to figure out what happened to Reed Richards' father, Nathaniel. And it turns out he had gone back into the past to become this guy called the Warlord, and now we're getting into alternate futures again. And it turns out Nathaniel Richards' giant warlike citadel had become a national monument, and then a couple thousand years later, one of his ancestors decided to go and explore it, and it turns out, yes, that's Ramatut. So, apparently, at least in this point in the mid-1980s, Ramatut was a descendant somehow of Nathaniel Richards, which means that in some weird convoluted way Dr. Doom and Reed Richards are related. Maybe. Now, this is as far as we're going in the history and all the other stuff that's come lately we're not really going to talk about. If you look up stuff on the Marvel Wikipedia page or anything like that you'll see that Kang's real name is Nathaniel Richards and he is now somehow tied in to the Richards family and all that. Maybe this is going to how they're finally going to introduce the Fantastic Four into the Marvel Universe by Kang being a descendant of the Fantastic Four. Who knows? I do want to give uh, a shout out to one other thing that may be vaguely obscure, but if you're able to track down a copy, it's well worth your while. We mentioned this on the podcast I did on the Winter Palace with Mark Wade recently. Digression, you should check that out if you haven't listened to it. It was a great time talking to Mark about continuity and the new stuff that he's doing at DC. But we talked about a fanzine called Omniverse that was done in the mid-70s by the late Mark Grunwald, who was just a fan then, would but become later a Marvel editor, a longtime writer of Captain America, and the guy who wrote the Squadron Supreme miniseries in the mid-1980s that is definitely worth checking out. He was a super big fan about continuity and alternate worlds, and yes, if you watched Loki, then Mobius, the character played by Luke Wilson, is patterned after Mark Grunwald. If you see in the comics, when they introduced, when Walt Simonson introduced Mobius and the Time Variance Alliance and the Time Police and all those people that were a lot of the basis for the Loki TV show, those are all based on Mark Grunwald. Anyway, issue two of Omniverse has a long, long history called The Life and Times of Doctor Doom. That was written by Frank Loves and Walt Hellstrom. 
that goes through that chronicles all of this history up until the time Doom, Kang, Ramatut, Scarlet Centurion, Immortus, how they're all related. Um, you can find copies of that on eBay. It's very expensive. There are probably other ways to find it if you dig around the gray areas of the internet. So, what does this all have to do with Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania? I don't know. But if you're but Kang is certainly probably going to be the big bad in the next phase of the Marvel Universe. So this was a very convoluted primer about Kang and his various identities. I don't think there is an easy solution to explain Kang's origin. I don't know if they've done a better job of streamlining it in the last two or three years now that Kang has become an important character in Marvel again. But... Like I said, this was a 11th hour decision made after I realized I could not really do the original pod that I wanted to. So I hope you find this useful. Please check out our podcast that we did with Mark Wade that I mentioned earlier. Check out the rest of the shows on the When It Was Cool Network, and we will talk to everybody next time. (laughs) 